Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. And today we've got something that we really, really wanted to discuss. Um, it's basically, everyone always says you need to take your money and your business money and invest it back into the business. And this week, we're going to discuss how to do this in a way that what, well, basically that you'll know will help um, along with what you should and shouldn't be putting your money into when you have ex- excess. I will also discuss the good, better and best topics, how to know what to prioritize, especially when money is tight. We'll then talk about things that we've done that we wish we hadn't and what we've done that has been good. Um, and before we dig into it, we are not financial advisors. So don't, you know, rail on us because we don't know what we're talking about. We just, we're just, you know, we do this as authors and we're just telling other authors how we handle things. And then of course we'll be giving advice because that's kind of what we do. Um, but yeah, consult with a professional for your individual situation. And then another caveat, when I'm saying invest into your business, it's not like investing into the stock market or anything like that. It's like business expenses that can be viewed as an investment. So where you put your money to make your, your business grow basically, and in the short term and in the long term. Um, and Lindsay, you have a bunch of things. You have a couple updates for us, right? And well, then also other stuff. <laughs> I just wanted to add on to the intro too, that we're all full-time authors at this point and how this applies to you is going to depend a little bit on whether you are also full-time and you're currently living on your author income. Uh, you have to be a little more careful in, in that case or versus if you're somebody is supporting you or you're still working full-time at another job, you can probably afford to take all the money you make from your books or as was our case when we got started, money from your day job to <laughs> pay for book stuff. So it'll be a little bit different depending on which part of the journey you are on. Um, and I did have a quick update just um, last week. We talked a little bit briefly about selling direct and I mentioned it's still kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> and um, Joanna Penn emailed and I just wanted to sit and she shared a reminder of how PayHip works. Um, and she said, I just have links on my book pages and books to, books to read, et cetera. And they do all the maintenance, book funnel delivers, and PayHip does the payment processing. So she's not, like some people do an integration with WordPress or actually set up a shop on their site. And she's like, oh, you don't have to do that. So just a reminder, um, I have not done the direct thing. So I'm just relaying this information. And she's also got a guide on her site, a tutorial, if you want to check that out for setting it up, thecreativepen.com sell direct tutorial slash sell direct tutorial. I'll put the link in the show notes if uh, if it's something you're interested in. And um, I guess I'm butting in and starting this off because uh, Andrea's original first question, I was like, wait, 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 we got to talk about all the things we actually invest in as authors first. So I made a list and uh, not that these are exclusive or the, the only things I'm sure you can think of others, but it came to my top of my mind, things we spend money on for our author business, editing, covers, advertising, book trailers or videos. Some people do. Some people get an assistant. Some people do additional artwork for or media for like marketing giveaways or they, they're going to sell merchandise. Uh, a lot of people go to classes or workshops, also conventions slash conferences. And if you are newer or not making that much yet, it can be a little daunting if you think you need to pay for all those things. So I just want to say that I feel, and we've talked about this before, that editing and covers are probably, you know, the things I would definitely prioritize as into to invest in from the beginning. You can go inexpensive on covers. And honestly, you probably should until you see how things go by uh, buying pre-mades or, you know, finding someone that does the Photoshop manipulation kind of covers where you're just using stock photos. And, you know, they can do very professional looking covers inexpensively that fit perfectly fine in like the top 100s of your categories. 
Um, so, but do, do make that investment. You don't want to turn off potential readers right off the bat. We are way past the years where a really hokey cover was going to sell anyway, just because people were so desperate for that particular niche. Uh, almost all the niches, I, I mean, there's probably examples or, you know, what's the word I want? Exceptions. <laughs> but almost every niche now is, is pretty well filled. So you really need to compete with um, the other books out there. And even if you don't think you're editing, you need editing because you are amazing with grammar and all the things you probably do. It's really hard to catch everything with your own stuff. So those are the two things I would definitely do starting off. Definitely invest the money in. And almost everything else I would consider either not worth doing, such as in book trailers or getting additional artwork, unless you love the idea. Like if you have the money to spend and you just want to do it because... It's, it's super fun to do that stuff around your work and you don't have the expectation that it's going to increase your return necessarily. Totally fine, of course. Um, an exception to the list I mentioned was be like classes, workshops, writing books, those kind of things. I think you should definitely be making the investments in your education and bettering your craft all along the way. Ideally, starting well before you get anywhere near publishing. And, and um, assist, the assistant thing, people have differing opinions on when you should consider hiring an assistant. And it's, I think, it honestly, it's got a lot of a personality thing. If you are a hardcore introvert, um, this may never happen, like with me, in my case. But the more you write and publish, the more you become like a publishing company and not just an author. And the more work there is going to be with the daily admin stuff. So some people like to try and outsource some of that stuff as soon as possible. You know, I think marketing is the one thing authors really like to outsource to varying degrees of success. That tends to be one of those things like it's really hard to be good at. And it's really hard to be good at and be able to like pay for someone to do it in addition to all the expenses of like running the ads themselves and then, then come out on top. So I would just, whatever you decide you're going to do for your next step, um, not financial advice, as Andrew said, but still, I recommend you wait several months to make sure you, you know, you've reached an income level where it's going to stabilize and you're really sure you can afford things and that they're not going to fall off because you don't, you know, you don't want to hire someone only to have to say like three months later, oh, sorry, my new series isn't as successful as I thought it would be. So I'm going to have to let you go. And you only want to, you also want to be able to pay your bills during the low months like between releases and not always be feeling stressed out and, and relying on like big hits of income boosting uh, around releases. So uh, there's my two cents intro on that stuff. Joe, what do you have to say? Um, basically I second most of the points made here. I actually thought of one, like as I was rereading the list before you started talking, software is a thing that you can invest in. I, my chain for building my stuff was free for like the entire time like i i didn't want to buy software but uh things like scrivener scrivener i use uh vellum i never use but vellum makes things so much easier so there you might want to invest some money into some you know some some of the software could be surprisingly expensive but um it can really pay for itself quickly in terms of the amount of time it saves you if you're doing all the production yourself so i'll say that before i get to my actual points um if you only have a little bit of money to invest, proper editing and suitable cover are probably your best bet. Uh, the cover, the blurb, and the book itself are the uh, the three things that absolutely positively must be part of the release. Like literally, you can't publish a book without a cover, copy, and content. So you should make sure those are up to snuff before anything else. I personally have never done any formal craft development. Uh, I never did workshops. I didn't do masterminds or anything like that. 
um, I certainly could have benefited from them. Like my first few books, I feel uh, are aren't as polished as they would have been if I'd had been if I'd had more experience and more critique along the way. Uh, I could probably still benefit from them, but my time and budget I've always allocated elsewhere. I built my chops by writing a lot and by analyzing the works of people I enjoyed, and eventually by uh, absorbing feedback from beta readers. And I think honestly. Just the amount of writing and the amount of feedback I got in, in the, from the beta readers is what has improved me thus far. Uh, advertising is, of course, a very important part of most publishers' toolkits, but it's probably something you should take slowly and conservatively until you're conf confident in calculating and estimating the return on investment. There are few things better able to drain your author account than a malformed uh, advertising campaign. Unless you have a bustling and booming output, or else you're profoundly lacking in certain administrative skills, you probably don't need an assistant. Uh, in my opinion, if you were on the cusp of having the income and workload to justify an assistant, I would look into streamlining your workload before I looked into hiring an assistant. That's just me. Uh, things become much more complex and intense once you have a, a formal employee. Uh, you're, you know, now you're an employer and that adds an entirely new layer to taxes and to everything else. So just keep that in mind. Even, well, you know, virtual assistants are a little bit easier. Um, I'll be the first to say I love commissioning additional art, uh, but I agree with Lindsay that any return on investment I've received from that stuff is incidental. Uh, there's a lot of use I can put it to, but I would not, if, if it came down to making money off of the additional art that I've commissioned, I never would have commissioned it. Uh, I just like art. Um, as for conferences, uh, if you're the right sort of person, there's a very real possibility that conferences uh, could pay for themselves in the long run. Uh, you might move those up your priority list if you're the right kind of person, because it's a great opportunity to meet folks face to face. It's a great opportunity to network. It's a great opportunity to learn. Uh, I've enjoyed and benefited from a handful of conferences that I've attended, and some have led directly to business opportunities. But it took every ounce of my social capacity to wring that value out of them. And there were a lot of uh, conventions I went to where I got no nothing out of it besides just a nice stuff to look at for a while. So, uh, like these again, and especially if you're traveling and having you know booking a hotel and all that, I'm fortunate enough to be right next to New York City, so a lot of stuff comes to me. But uh, if you're going to be spending thousands of dollars to go to this place, you'd better make sure you get some good, you know, business cards in your pocket to come out of it. Because, uh, yeah, plane ticket, a ticket for admission, you know, the, the cost can rack up. But, I mean, if you end up, if you're looking for an agent, you're going to have a much better shot at getting an agent just by talking to one than by sending a query letter to a slush pile. So, again, prioritize based upon your goals. And and have your goal to not be traditionally publishing. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that is a, it is a valid goal. And um, un, unlike what everybody um, you know predicted back ten years ago, traditional publishers are still around. <laughs> and um, I do know authors that are still getting uh, um, deals with them. Um, another thing that we didn't mention that wasn't mentioned in the list is audiobooks. Um, you know, you know, you, sometimes you can do roles you share. Sometimes you can have a company that picks you up and covers the cost, but most of the time for most authors, audiobooks is something they're going to need to cover on their own. Um, anyway, it, I think, I think everybody would agree. It gets overwhelming to think of all the things that we can, and maybe even should put our money toward, um, of the list that Lindsay shared. I think editing and covers is the most important to me. Um, I generally do my own covers, but these like, it's just important. And then when it comes to the rest, um, 
I'm definitely a people person. When I first started out getting to conferences and events, and I only did about two a year when I first started, was really, really important to me. So I put a higher priority on that than I did on anything else in the list. But like Joe, I mean, everything goes to New York. I live in Utah. There's a huge, huge uh, market of authors in Utah. And so most of the conferences came to me. So I didn't have to deal with hotels and flights and rental cars and food and things like that because I was home when, you know, when they came. And so, but I made sure that I went to about two of those a year. And then anyway, I wanted to start making connections with others so I could learn as much as possible from them and then be able to help them as best as I could in in return. Um, I didn't put any money or toward classes or workshops, kind of like with Joe, you know, I worked with beta, beta readers and things like that. And then practicing actually writing the books and reading was a faster way for me to learn than a class or workshop. Um, so in the beginning, I did attend one workshop. It was before I signed with a publisher. So it was back in 2009. It was a three hour long workshop. And everybody was like, this is like the best thing in the world. And people were super excited because she was a really well-known popular New York editor. And she came here for something else and decided to run a workshop. And it was honestly three of the most chaotic hours I and disorganized mess anything I've ever seen come from a professional ever in my entire existence. And I was super bittered and embittered. I was just like, that was a waste of time. And so that was before I even had the money to spend on it. I mean, I used personal money because I wasn't even published yet. And um, self-publishing wasn't a thing. I mean, it was, but you know, Kindle hadn't been invented yet. And so anyway, so it just really put a bitter taste in my mouth. And then from then on, I was really gun shy. I just didn't, I didn't trust people. I didn't, you know, I was like, even if they have a good reputation, because that editor had a huge reputation. Anyways, the advice she gave me back then, which I took, um, made a mess out of my book. And then after that, I decided to guide my learning process on my own. And that, that was basically the best idea for me. Um, but if you can find a good workshop that isn't overly expensive and is well-organized, it can shortcut the work you put into learning to write. And it depends on your learning style too. Some people just, they need to hear things, you know, from somebody presenting to them more than they need to have hands on. And some people need to view things, you know, reading books and things like that more. Um, anyway, so even more important than those workshops and classes is finding a good editor who you trust and who enjoys teaching their clients how to write better. Um, I signed with a publisher in 2010 and that editor that I had then is still my editor now. And she's phenomenal. Um, I've learned from, more from her on good craft than any other person or source. Um, and so just going back to my initial point, putting your money toward covers and editing is, it really is a great idea. And then the rest I put money towards as I started making money. And I know, I think I talk about um, assistance later on. I'm just going to make the point right here. If, if you, um, so I'm not, I like, I have kids, I have, you know, my, my hus- house to run and, and homeschool and things like that to do. Um, if you're making enough money and if you have very little time, I do recommend getting an assistant just because they can, I mean, virtual don't do an in-person assistant. I did that. It was a mistake. Um, and we'll talk about that later, but I mean, if you can, and if that will help you invest, um, help your business be better then I think it's a great idea. Um, and I'll talk more about that later about what you can, what you should and shouldn't do there. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and talk about our personal philosophies about finance when it comes to running a book business. And this is not to Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I put a comment in the chat, but you're Oh, my chat's yeah. not open. Now it's open. <laughs> I just wanted to say on the topic of workshops, what I did was a long-term online writing workshop in my genre where you edited, I mean, you critiqued other people's chapters that they posted them or short stories and they critiqued yours. And some of the people were published and farther along on their journey. And you get occasionally get the editor would come in and it's much different experience. I did it over a couple of years. I made such a huge difference. I became such a better writer and way more confident in my skills. Um, I feel like the thing you described would have been like, 
<laughs> I also would not have enjoyed that experience. So um, I think it's super important if you can to get something in your genre. Like, because I've also taken creative writing classes like back in high school and nobody was writing fantasy, you know, and it's like you need people to kind of understand the ins and outs of your genre. But I just, so I wanted to add that too. I think it's great that we all have different experiences and have different priorities about what we would invest in after editing and <laughs> book covers, but yes, thank you. Continue on. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no, I agree. I mean, we all have, we all come from different walks of life. And so things that are important to us, is, it's not going to apply to all of our listeners, but I'm hoping that um, you know, that each of us will represent a, a subset of our listeners so that we can give advice that they will, you know, appreciate. Um, okay. So personal philosophies about finances when it comes to running a book business, uh, this is not to guilt anyone. Basically it's, we're just going to talk about how we handle debt and where our views are, where it's concerned. Would we ever go into it? What about excess? How we you know personally know when we can pay ourselves and not have to put money back into the business. And everybody is I mean, we all feel strongly about how we view this topic. And so I don't want anybody to listen and go, ooh, that's not the way I would do it. Just just listen and pick out from it what um, applies to you best and, you know, just go from there. <laughs> so, Joe, let's we'll start with you. All right. So uh, I started off with a good paying job and I didn't really have any confidence in my writing. See earlier statements about not having any craft training. Uh, and as a result, I refused to invest anything into it that I didn't think I'd get back. And I didn't think I'd be getting anything back. So that meant my first books were released with no edit and homemade cover art. And uh, I was lucky enough to do it at a time when you could take off with no edit and homemade cover art. But as soon as I managed to get the book selling, I reinvested in uh, first a good cover and then in an edit. Uh, and let me tell you, uh, I have like... I don't think I have the number written down anymore, but I got to see the a number of star, average star increase uh, as the edit was applied. <laughs> like it, it made a real difference. Um, so yeah, so uh, to this day, I refuse to do anything that will put me in debt. I had, I went to grad school and then ended up not using that degree. And so I was paying down, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on something I ended up not using. I refuse to go into debt again. Uh, I haven't separated my personal and book finances very well, well very much uh, outside of keeping track of expenses uh, uh, and income for tax purposes. Basically, I live well within my means and I keep what I call a war chest uh, with enough money for in it to do the next book release and cover the book expenses between them. So any advertising that I'm doing, any, anything like that. Uh, beyond the contents of, of, of that account, everything else I would I consider my salary. And because I don't do a lot of extravagant stuff, I end up with excess most of the time. And that excess either goes, well, that excess typically goes into a savings account and it sits there until I decide whether or not uh, I have any use for it. It doesn't usually sit there more than a few months. And then once I decide, either I'm going to do an experiment with the books with it or else I'm going to, you know, put into long term savings. I have a money manager uh, and I have a couple of investment accounts that I put that into. And that's basically, and I also have a retirement account. So, there's, you know, I, I, I give it to someone who knows better than me to handle it. Uh, uh, yeah. And so just the book expenses are separated and well, well understood because of the way I do my launches. I know exactly how much they're going to cost. And then everything else, I, I, I have my, uh, my, my monthly, you know, expense that I have to hit. And on top of that is either experimental or savings. 
So when I was starting out, I was definitely scrimping to pay for ed editing and cover art and the very limited ads that were available <laughs> at that time. And obviously, like, I think this is going to be almost all authors using my day, day job income to finance everything, which uh, was not that substantial because this was right after the global financial meltdown. And I'd taken a pretty big hit to um, what I was earning before this. I had websites and made money from uh, ads and affiliate income. Uh, and I was in the home improvement sector. So when the housing went, my income also went, it's important to have sound effects in the podcast, guys. Um, so yeah, I didn't take on any debt, though, to launch my books. I I believed, because I had done the workshops, I believed that I would had an audience out there that would like my books if I could get them out there, but I didn't want to make any assumptions. And I didn't know, so I didn't know how well the books would sell. So I just assumed, yeah you know, this will probably take a while for things to, you know, take off. Um, and so, yeah, no debt. I, I had a poor edit still on that first book. Like I, I keep thinking I should redo it, but uh, there's always like my, I was, I'm always like booked out three times, you know, in advance with my editor because I write so quickly. But um, yeah, I, I think honestly, if even if edit paying for edit is, is tough, it's probably better to take on a side hustle or trade editing with a like really grammatically strong workshop friend or someone than to go into debt to launch your books. Just don't know if they're going to sell. Uh, most people, honestly, you know, there's exceptions, but most people don't do that great with their first series. It's really kind of a learning experience. Now, if you have something take off and you want to throw more advertising dollars at it to try to boost it even more, I, you know, I think that can make sense. Like the money is already adding up in your Amazon account and you just need to use credit cards to tide you over until that money drops into your bank account 60 days later or whatever. That's probably fine. I've heard of people doing that and, and things worked out fine. Now, um, a note on credit cards, I, not financial advice, but I would, I definitely have a business credit card that gives cash back on purchases. Uh, I think it's 2%, might even be more. Um, and that's nothing to scoff at, especially when you start spending thousands of dollars a month on ads. But even if you're just paying for editing and cover art, uh, or like I pay my, Andrea mentioned audiobook narrators, I just paid for my Dragon Gate book three, 20 hours of audio. Yeah, that was thousands of dollars for sure for that. Um, so yeah, it's nice to get that little bit of money back. And also running it through the business credit card makes it easier at the end of the year for taxes because everything's just item itemized and listed on your credit card statement. You don't have to scrape around collecting receipts and you can pay it off every, mo every month so you don't rack up any interest charges. That is definitely how I, not financial advice, <laughs> still recommend you treat uh, credit cards because the minute you start paying interest, any anything's null and void as far as cash back. Who cares if you get two percent back if you're paying eighteen percent in interest? So that is how I treat debt in the business. Uh, go ahead, Andrea. Not advice, guys. Not advice. But do it anyway. This is what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, like Joe and Lindsay, we didn't go into debt to start the book business, my, my book business, the book. Anyway, we paid for my edits. Um, Nolan did my covers and we put a few thousand of personal money toward advertising. Um, that was earned back in the first year. Or so, so, and, we, and we've been in the black every year except one since, and because of how royalties work that one year, I made a lot of money in November and December and didn't get it until January. And so, um, the following year ended up being my best year ever, but you know, so that one year I was in the red, but Anyway, I can't stress how important it is not to turn your writing into something negative or stressful or that you, that you just feel this anticipate this, like this pent up frustration and stress over debt puts a whole lot of pressure on your shoulders and it can sour something that you would normally love like writing, right? Um, even seasoned authors have series that don't do well. <laughs> Ahem. 
And it's important not to spend money you would be hurting if you didn't get back. Um, when it comes to paying myself um, lately, pretty much everything is going back into the business. Um, since the great burnout, the great burnout capitalized uh, of 2019, I haven't felt comfortable using business money for personal stuff because I'm like, I don't, I haven't been writing. And so my income you know, it just, it, it, it dropped. Um, and Noel and I were actually talking about this the other day. Like at one point, am I going to be comfortable again to take a paycheck? And I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's not going to happen for a while though. I'm banking all the excess money at this point because I'm already itching to get new covers on my medical romance books. And most of my fantasy books need facelifts. It's been, um, 2016 is when the last time I updated my mosaic chronicles book covers aside from the Academy urban fantasy look that is not on them anymore. And I do, I need to update those, but so, yeah. So right now I'm not taking money back. I'm not, um, and I'm avoiding debt, all of that stuff. So I think that's pretty much everything we were going to talk about. Right. I think so. I okay. Didn't, I realized I didn't answer your, I actually do pay myself a set amount each month, but you know, if you set up like an LLC, it's all the income is going to pass through to you anyway, eventually that you don't invest back into the business that you don't spend on business expenses. So like Joe, I just take the excess and invest it or buy a Tesla that's coming in May, <laughs> but you know, try to get to the point where you, <laughs> where, it's awesome. where it's a cash purchase. I mean, if you get to that point, you, that, I mean, I feel like with luxury cars, I mean, that's not that luxury anymore. They've come down, but I don't know. Here I am defending my car purchase. <laughs> we're, like, we're talking about save money, guys. Don't go into debt. But there's a point where if you can buy something with cash or a house would be like an exception, a mortgage or something where the interest rates at like 2% or 3%, whatever it is right now. Obviously, that's not going to be a bad purchase, but just that 18% kind of stuff. Stay far away, please, for your own sanity. Okay. I'm <laughs> no kidding. Um, I have two brothers who have Teslas. The brother who we bought the house from and Josh both have Teslas. And I, well, I just, you know how much I started hating going to the gas station when the pandemic started? Because oh, here yeah. in Oregon, they pump the gas for you. I was just like, I don't like that. You know, especially at the beginning when you're like, yeah. what is this? It's like Ebola or something like that. You know, I was like, oh, I was like, I want an electric car that I can just charge in the garage. So. <laughs> Two years later, dream's going to happen. All right. <laughs> Continuing on. Well, this is the thing. Like you made a plan and I mean, it, it's something you're working towards. You didn't just jump out and do it right when you thought it's right. So I like to think about big purchases for a while before I make them. I'm not, I am impulsive with small stuff, but yeah, I want to make sure I want something because <laughs> I've had regrets yeah. in the past. Yes. That's later in the episode, I think, talking about regrets. <laughs> Okay. So, um, what advice do you have for new authors when it comes to choosing where to invest or not invest money? And we're going to hand it off to Joe. Uh, as I've said before, making sure you have a clean manuscript, that is to say that you've had an editor, uh, and a sufficient cover should be your top two monetary concerns. I say sufficient cover because uh, I have aimed high with my covers and it's worked out well in most cases, but I probably have way more cover than I need in almost every situation. You can, you can, uh, get a very professional cover that is not a digital painting, which is what I almost always go for. Um, uh, don't worry too much about spending your money on advertising early on until you're satisfied you have a good product because it's just easier to advertise a good product. <laughs> like it, it, it's as simple as that. Like you can get fantastic at advertising, but if you're product is is not great then you're gonna have to be that much better at ads and i suppose it's like training with weights on like i guess maybe if you got good at ads first and then got made good product you'd be super good at selling that product but trust me the product is the easier thing to work on first um 
once you know your stuff is polished enough and you're ready to take on some expenses, I'd recommend setting up well, a newsletter. I say that as though an expense. Most of the newsletter companies out there have a free tier. And ideally, once you get past the free tier, you're making enough money that you can start investing in, you know, paying for that newsletter. Uh, basically, you want to set yourself up to grow. So stuff like that. Uh, you can you can have a website. Websites are super useful, and you should eventually have one. But number one, they can be done very very cheaply, and number two, they're not the end all be all. There's other things that are probably higher priority than that. Um, start learning some promo skills. Start trying to invest intelligently on the occasional promo and getting good at your launch ads and stuff like that for your next book. Early on, don't spend money on anything that doesn't have a good chance of paying for itself. And really, the thing that has the best chance of paying for itself is the next book. So even even you know, as you start getting more money, your focus should still be on polishing up and producing something that you can sell and everything else is secondary. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I should have put website and email hosting in that list. You guys could have added to the list. I'm just saying you could have. Um, but those are generally not too expensive unless you're really scrimping. You should be able to get a website and hosting for less than $100 a year at this point. You can just have like a static word page, you know, WordPress site up there with a, a couple things and a landing page for your newsletter. Um, as far as investment, I already mentioned that I, I would prioritize editing and cover art for those earlier books. Also, I said this kind of already, but invest, and it's so cheesy. Everybody says this, and but it's true. Invest in your own education. So many people rush to self-publish right away now because it's so much easier than getting traditionally published. It's just like, oh, I just upload my manuscript and my cover to Amazon and, and maybe some other sites, and I'm good to go. It's, I'm, I'm like relieved that it wasn't that easy for me when I was learning and doing the workshops and all that stuff and submitting short stories to magazines and getting rejected and getting rejected by agents. And it's just, it, it forced me. To to learn and try to become better, whereas I might not have honestly, you know, labored and done all that stuff. But um, it, it's it's I, I used to have this attitude too, so I understand it. But I, I feel like a lot of authors are like, I just want to tell stories, and they don't necessarily know the fundamentals of, you know. If you're not 100% on grammar, that's one thing. Like, I have a couple of things that I forever am like, ah, oh, who or whom, <laughs> you know. But you should know how to use a semicolon. You shouldn't have dangling modifiers all over the place. Like, the more the more you learn at the fundamentals of just the basic writing stuff, that you know, it's going to be cheaper to get stuff edited for one thing because it's going to be a lot less hours for them to go through and, and fix everything. So it, it is a kind of shocking how many people want to be authors for their careers, but don't take the time to actually learn the grammar and the basic stuff. And I, I actually took a course in editing from, it was like the University of Washington, a certificate program. And I thought it would be kind of cheesy, the kind of thing like at that time, this is way before I was serious about fiction, but I was like, oh, maybe I'll go into editing or something one day. But it was really good for me because however, whatever happened with the American school system and the fact that I moved as a, a lot of the kids, I never had a lot of the basic stuff. Like I read a lot, so I intuitively knew a lot. But yeah, like we did not diagram sentences and really learn grammar uh, that just happened to not be a real emphasis, <laughs> I think, in American education when I was growing up. Uh, so yeah, I definitely recommend if you're weak on that stuff, that you've got time. You're learning your craft. You might as well you know, learn how to <laughs> punctuate it well. Don't let yourself be lazy and say, oh, the editor will fix that. Because like I said, you're going to pay a lot less for editing over your career if you just send them a pretty clean manuscript when it goes to them. I accidentally posted in the chat, I love Lindsay. 
<laughs> supposed to say Lindsay's hoodie. Her hoodie's really cute, guys. If or girls, ladies, whoever, whoever wants to see a cute hoodie, go watch the YouTube video because it's now cute. you're using the chat. Okay. Now that you <laughs> yeah. opened it, you're like, oh yeah, hey, I remember this. Okay. I remember, I remember this place Thank where you. I can make snide <laughs> comments. <laughs> Anyway, um, Lindsay made a really, really good point there. Uh, you will save so much freaking money if you learn proper grammar. And maybe that's why I don't, don't feel like workshops are a good place to put money. Um, probably, you know, because I learned grammar, I was a technical writer and a paralegal before I started writing fiction. Um, and at this point, if grammar is elusive to you though, uh, put as much money as you can toward learning it because you can learn how to be a fiction writer through practice and your editor reading books, but grammar isn't as always easy as easy to master. It doesn't come as intuitively. Um, don't worry about marketing and advertising until you have a good, until you have good products available for readers to download. And then if you're struggling financially, you've got to start out really, really, really small. Right. Um, and I'll talk about that again, a little bit later. Watch, I'm going to like, forget all of my, I'm going to talk about laters, <laughs> but, um, okay. So now we're going to, um, talk about things that we, a couple things that we think fall under the good, better, and best topics. And Joe is going to go and then me. And then I think Lindsay has a snide remark. <laughs> All right. So uh, for me, uh, I think a good start is keeping your costs low as possible. That doesn't mean skim skipping out on all necessary things, but it means trying to keep getting the best value and keeping tabs on expenses and always being mindful uh, of what is optional. Like if you're just starting off, the best thing you can do is be aware of the value of everything and, and, aim toward best value if nothing else that's a skill that will serve you well through the rest of your career better would be maintaining a budget and a plan like planning for the future keeping track of expenses keeping track of earnings uh and how much of any given thing seemed to add from one to the other like if if you can start linking together um you know advertising campaigns with increased income it really starts to give you a, a better idea of how you can spend money intelligently uh, yeah, you don't want to be taken by surprise also by any expenses. So as you start to build your, your, your plans and fix your budget and figure out that stuff, it'll make you just much more comfortable. Like you don't have to worry quite so much because, uh, I mean, obviously unexpected things happen all along, but very seldom does an unexpected business thing happen. Like usually the unexpected thing happens in your life. Uh, so yeah, just being able to put together a budget and a plan is an excellent next step. And then best would be going all the way to running your author career as though it was a full business. And that includes considering the final financial planning aspect, uh, you know, not just week to week expenses or month to month expenses, but, you know, actually having your full year planned out and having parts of your, uh, your income set aside for, you know, uh, retirement because you're self-employed and there's no one else looking for your retirement, but you. So, the, the earlier you figure out how to run your career like it's a business, the better off you'll be uh, in the absolute long run. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and then mine are, mine are geared towards newer authors or those who are struggling financially. Um, so a couple of, of um, examples of good, better, best. So good would be, you know, an edit with a professional like New York Times editor. I, I hired one when I first started out who who cost like $6 a page. It was astronomically expensive, which I, I still think that's astronomically expensive. Um, and I've, I've had a couple of clients who had done the same thing. And I'm like, you can find editors that are cheaper than that, that are better. Um, and then, so that would fall under the good, you know, it's good to work with a professional editor who costs a lot of money. It's good to buy a book cover 
that costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, better would be to find an editor and covers that are a little bit cheaper. And best would be a good editor who doesn't charm, charge an arm, arm and a leg and possibly pre-made book covers. Um, these are just stepping up points. So in the beginning, when you first start self-publishing or if you're struggling financially, there's nothing wrong with using a pre-made cover. There's nothing wrong with using an editor who isn't a huge name editor and, um, and doesn't charge a whole lot. You know, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's just, there, there's like the stigma that goes with publishing. Like I need to be the best. That means hiring the best. That doesn't mean you need to pay $1,500 per book cover or $6,000 for one book edit, you know? Um, so good. Another example of good would be BookBub feature deals, Facebook and Amazon ads. Better would be BookBub feature deals and newsletter promo sites like EMT and Book Barbarian before doing Facebook and Amazon ads. And then best, again, in, if you're starting out or struggling financially, newsletter swaps, um, newsletter promo sites. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with putting a little bit more mileage in on your part to save a little bit of money. Um, and then until money is coming in, spend what you have, basically spend what you have on little or things, um, unless you get a book bub, because you shouldn't say, say no to book bub deals, <laughs> even though they're not as big now as they were in the past, they're still the best out there and they are pretty expensive, but generally you will earn the money back. Generally, I'm not, it's not a guarantee. You know, I haven't always earned the money back on a book bub, but generally I have. So Lindsay. I don't know if I have anything snarky. I just didn't really have a whole, I'm like, good, better, best. I'm not sure what exactly to say in there. I, I will, I do think a lot of the things you pointed out as best. I'm like, eh, I would never do that. Like I make enough to do all those things. Like I know some people will pay like $5,000 for an illustrated piece of artwork to use for their cover. I've gone higher end on covers with a photo shoot, you know, picking models and splitting the cost for that over like eight covers or something. And even then like it, it was fine. And I'll talk about this a little more later, but did, did I need to, you know, I think that's kind of the question you have to ask yourself. Like if you have one of the reasons I like having had the workshopping experience and taken so long and had so many rejections and then started to sell some things is it gave me more confidence. I didn't really feel like I needed to go out and get a New York editor, you know, to, this is the kind of people I was avoiding by self-publishing. You know, I feel like I would, uh, it would be really hard for me at this point to actually like, I can take feedback still. Like I, I still use beta readers. I have good friends that like to read my stuff and I like to have them read it. Um, but I very much have a stubborn streak that I've developed. I have like this confidence, you know, over not to say everything's perfect, but I'm just like, no, that wouldn't work for me. And so having done it longer, I, I know what I need and don't necessarily need to pay for. And I would say almost ever, almost always that, better thing you you don't need it as a professional author i've also seen somebody with audiobooks hire a whole ensemble cast to read each of the different parts and he said i think he's been like ten thousand dollars on something significantly shorter than the epic fantasy i was telling you about and that guy doesn't publish anymore you know i don't know if he, <laughs> he his next series didn't do as well he didn't have the money to continue on but um that's the kind of stuff that can put you out of the business if it's great i mean you can try it when you're making more but don't assume that you're always going to make as well that every series is going to do as well. You know, it's better to just realize that. And maybe sometimes you have to like do it and realize, oh, that series did not sell any more than um, this other one where I just got the $200 Photoshop manipulation of stock image covers versus the $5,000 custom artwork. So maybe you have to do it and, and see for yourself, but you'll find that the best, <laughs> the best there you probably don't need. And if you're publishing a lot of books, you probably don't want that expense every time. It's going to take you that much longer to uh, break even and start having money to buy cars with or just pay the bills, pay down the mortgage, do the extra stuff that you would really like to do. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, I remember and the same thing that I mean, book trailers, I'd say would fall under the, you know, these things where here they cost a lot of money and they're not necessarily something that brings money back. Um, okay, so the next next question is how can an author know what the oh wait, I already asked that one down. <laughs> wait. Oh, yes, no, this is how can an author know for themselves what the good, better, and best things are? Honestly, because any form of investment begins with the investment of time, I think determining the best way to invest both your time and your money will depend largely on what you feel most comfortable with doing yourself. Because, again, we're primarily talking from the point of view of self-published authors, so you're going to be doing most of this stuff yourself. If you're okay with risk because you have a solid secondary income or if your book earnings are your secondary income, then you can move forward on things like advertising or higher risk, higher return projects like audiobooks much earlier than someone else would. If you're a top-notch schmoozer and a people person, then attending conferences and the like might be a higher priority. It might be where you start. You, 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 know, you start learning. It might be where you get those people that end up being your, your beta readers or your editors. Uh, and, and then you build from there. Uh, if you're lousy at that stuff, uh, and, but pumping out books and only focusing on the bare minimum launch costs uh, is within your, your capacity, then you know, do that until you have a deep enough backlist to have some flexibility on how to start pushing it. Uh, so yeah, really, I think um, we're, you know, we're talking about value. You are the one who, who knows what value you get out of your time. And your time is the one thing that's not technically costing you anything. So that's where I would start with determining where the best uh, investment is, is, is what you know you can personally handle yourself. I don't know about you guys, but I think Joe just called me a schmoozer. <laughs> This is extroverts. We all have our own strengths. We all have things that work for us, you know, like the yeah. conferences and networking stuff. Like that is so hard for me. I'm so relieved with the internet and having been able to just do it my own way. Here's a free book one. I don't have to schmooze. Excellent. You know, it's great that there are so many ways that you can make it as an author. As long as you get the craft and you get stories that people enjoy, uh, you'll figure out a way to get them out there. Yeah. And something I've learned, um, I am, I am a, um, being an extroverted author, I am probably in the 5% because traveling around, meeting authors, talking to people, 95% of authors are introverts. And so, I mean, <laughs> like, like I, I go to conferences and they're like, I'm a rare duck. I'm an INTJ. And it's like 50% of the people there are INTJs. And I'm like, I'm not an INTJ guys. I'm an extrovert. I know I'm for the first time in my life, I am rare. <laughs> Okay. So for my answer to this question on how an author can know for themselves, what the good, better, and best things are, um, figuring out your motivations, basically understanding what level of risk you're comfortable with. And like Joe said, knowing where the money is coming from. And then also part of it is just doing the work on a daily basis. You'll get an idea that way for where you need to put the money. Um, if you struggle to find time to advertise, don't advertise <laughs> consider, Oh, this is where my notice consider getting an assistant to help handle some of the more mundane things so that you have time to advertise. Um, and if you're needing to spend time to learn how to advertise, um, use YouTube as much as you can. Um, and I mean, there's so many free resources out there that can help you uh, learn the craft, learn the business side of things, learn grammar, all of that, that you can take advantage of. Um, my recommendation with YouTube is don't watch old videos when it comes to things like Facebook ads and, and Amazon ads, they change way too quickly. Um, you know, they're, they, they handle, you know, they, Facebook, they're stupid, uh, drives me nuts. They're like, everything changes all the time. It's about once a year, they, they roll something out that is totally different from what it was before. Um, anyway, so other things like just go use YouTube as much as you can. It's, it's a huge help. 
Um, and um, I think that's it for me. Goodbye. Wait, not yet. Not, not all not the way. Goodbye. <laughs> There's like two more to go. Uh, I did want to add. Well, you're right. YouTube is great. Like, uh, that's what's great about all these things that educate yourself as an author, invest in yourself. There aren't that many things where you have to spend a lot. We're making, for the most part, digital products. It's amazing, guys. <laughs> like, thank, be thankful every day that you have income coming in from ebooks <laughs> and audiobooks that are digital. Um, but yeah, YouTube can be great. And I, I forgot to say earlier when I was talking about investing in your, like, learning the craft and the grammar, also, if you can stomach it, I know we don't love marketing here, but it can actually make a lot of sense to do some of the courses out there. You know, if you get to the point where you are ready to spend money on ads, learning from other people can help shortcut things. If you can't, hey, there's YouTube and podcast interviews too. You can get a lot that way. Honestly, I've just, that's kind of how I've done it. Uh, teaching myself and going out and trying to find stuff. I, I think I've paid for several courses. <laughs> And take it like to watch like 10% of the videos. It's it's hard when you know 90% already and you're just kind of looking for the nuggets. But if you're brand new to it, uh, yeah, I'm totally an INTJ, Andrea. I was told there's only 1% of us or 2% of us. Yeah, that's right. Except in the author community. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a meant to say it earlier, but that's another thing you can invest in as far as your education is learning the marketing side as much as you can stomach and if you love it, awesome. You will be so much ahead of all of the rest of us who are like, uh, marketing, guess we got to do it. Yeah, not even joking about that INTJ. I was at Dean Wesley Smith's conference the last time we had it in 2000, was it 19 or whatever? Um, and somebody was like, I'm an INTJ. I know I'm really rare. And the next person I talked to, I'm an INTJ. I know we're really rare. And I'm not even joking. I'd like five people in like maybe one day. Cause we were talking about, they were all INTJs. I'm like, I'm married to an INTJ. My brother's an INTJ. Lindsay's an INTJ. Everybody is an INTJ in my world. <laughs> like the only extrovert I know right now. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Sorry guys. I said, I wasn't going to rant. I just ranted. I apologize. Let's move on. So, okay. We're going to talk about mistakes that we've made where finances are concerned. Joe, why don't you, why don't you take it away and show us what mistakes we can make? <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, when my earnings started to dip, um, rather than hustle to get them back up, I interpreted the dip as a temporary thing. They, I had had plenty of dips, uh, in my income over the years. Uh, so I, Instead of, again, I didn't hustle to, to get back where I was. I just sort of incorporated my current income as my, uh, well, we're going to be working with this as our budget. And I ate, I, I took the slack out of the, uh, the savings and investment portion. So obviously I'm not going to take the slack out of, you know, my book expenses or my mortgage. So I, I decided, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm putting more than I need to away. And I, uh, you know, I stopped. Uh, I've, I've never had to turn the, 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 the gates the other way. I've never had to like start taking money out of my savings in order to pay my bills. But I, I stopped putting as much in as I could have been. And frankly, I shouldn't have treated that part of my budget as slack uh, because it it cost me, I mean, some investment time. Like I, I, I could have had more money saved up if I was, you know, wasn't doing that. But also it gave me a false sense of security. Like it, it made me feel like oh, I don't have to change anything. I got plenty of room in the budget. So if I had to do again, I probably would have treated that portion of my budget as, you know, as unshakable as my credit card bill and my, and my internet and all that stuff. And once I found that I wasn't able to keep putting in as much as I was accustomed to, I would have adjusted uh, to, to get the earnings back up or to figure out why they were going down in the first place. So definitely being more proactive and, and 
I had started off by saying that I don't have really solid uh, uh, separation on that sort of it. This is me saying I probably should have had more solid separation on that sort of thing. Yeah, all those advisors out there are always like, pay yourself first, make sure you do that 10% or 20% or whatever you're trying to put away. But it's, it is more challenging when you're, when you have a variable income, you have to like, like the percentage, it might not be able to be the same every month. It's much easier when you're like, this is my W2 salaried income. I get X amount every month. And that's just how it is. Um, as far as mistakes I've made, so many, <laughs> but more so with personal finances. I feel like I made most of them in my 20s uh, and that made me a little wiser by the time I started publishing my books. Um, so because I've been conservative with business stuff, nothing jumps to mind uh, or nothing's come back to bite me. So I would just knock on wood and hope that continues to be the case because I can be a little laissez-faire on... <laughs> on stuff like oh sure foreign rights oh okay yeah take take that i'll take that <laughs> you know i have so many books what's the big deal so uh like i said i i'm not necessarily i don't know if any of us are actually great perfect models of people who have done everything right i'm sure they exist out there there's always those special people um i will just say as a what was this the question it was mistakes as far as finances to something to be careful of or be mindful of if you are thinking um, if you are going to do this full-time or you already are, are, Joe already mentioned this, if you're self-employed, nobody's going to give you a pension. Nobody's doing a 401k match for you. So make sure you're investing for your retirement because this is all on you. Uh, you know, and then for those like in the U.S. And, and I believe Canada also, probably many countries that, you know, they have special tax deferred retirement accounts. Um, and that's a great thing. It, but if your book business is doing well, or if your day job is doing well and you're thinking, oh man, I have to retire early and just write, uh, you probably want to also start investing like in a taxable brokerage account or doing real estate outside of your retirement account. Again, not financial advice. Maybe you don't want to do any of this, but um, I hear from a lot of people that want to do the fire thing, you know, like financial independence, retire early. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're totally on track. We're going to get there. Oh, stock market's been great this last 10 years. And then they realize that everything's locked up in their retirement account, which in the U.S., you can't set, start drawing on until you're 59 and a half unless you want to take penalties. Um, or I believe there's some funky workarounds you can start doing. But um, just saying you might want to not do everything in that one account. You might want to also have an account that you can easily access. So let's say you, you're doing well and you want to retire in your 40s or your early 50s. Um, kudos awesome. You know, you want to be able to like just start taking that money. Um, I will say with writing, like you're probably going to continue to have some residual income if you start, if you stop altogether or you start, stop publishing as much. This is something I think about, like, I'm not going to publish 10 books a year forever. You know, uh, you, to some extent you can probably keep it going, but you know, eventually you see, you'll see event, you don't release anything for a while. The income starts to drop off and uh, you can, to some extent, keep things going with ads, but uh, so just something to think about. You want to get to the point, hopefully, where you have enough money in your investments that it's like, oh, I'm just doing the author thing for fun and enjoyment or to leave more to my kids or grandkids or whatever you got going. <laughs> okay, that was a big ramble to the aside on financial mistakes. <laughs> Go ahead, Andrea. <laughs> okay. Um, so for me, it's hard to determine what is a mistake as opposed to a valuable learning opportunity. A lot of the things I did when we first started out, I was like, ah, oh, that was not the best idea. But honestly, I learned so much from those things. And so, um, I would just say, don't, don't be super overboard with anything you try. Don't throw a whole ton of money at something unless, you know, 
unless you can't, you don't, you're, it doesn't matter if you lose that money or unless you already know, basically it's going to return a profit. Um, okay. So my last fantasy series had the most mistakes of my career. Honestly, I bit off more than I could chew unknowingly. I didn't, there's no way I could have predicted that our, our, then he was our baby at that point would have so many health problems and so many allergies and all that. Um, I put a lot of money into advertising those books, despite not feeling comfortable with the covers on them. And those covers, I was in such a panic over getting the right ones. I mean, cause I set up pre-orders. I threw a lot of money at that. And then I kept changing the, the covers. I'm like, this is not going to be good for readers, all these different book covers. And, and I knew that none of them were hitting the market correctly. And it just, nothing was just, it just wasn't working. And instead of stopping and being like, you know what, let's not, let's not make a big deal out of this. Let's not have this huge, big launch. Instead of that, instead of stopping and calming myself down, I kind of went more frenetic, frenetic about it. Um, I was really impatient. I didn't want to have bad covers on it. And so I emailed five different cover designers and one of them was the one I really wanted to work with. And because I was so impatient and so kind of panicked, the first cover designer who responded to me was the one I went with. And I, I mean, it was like five hours later or something like that. I felt like I'd given up time, but I didn't realize my cover designer I really wanted to work with was located on the other side of the planet. And so he got back to me within a reasonable amount of time for him. But by then I'd already agreed to have this other person, you know, help me out. Um, anyway, so, um, let's see where my, my notes right here. Okay. So I, I ended up having my first choice do book covers for the clinic chronicles. And that was a really good choice. I just, I love those book covers now and I get book bub deals on them pretty much every time I submit, which is really exciting. And they're just, they just fit the genre super perfectly. Um, and if I'd been more patient, I wouldn't have been able to have them do the covers on my, on my midnight chronicles. Also, um, that would have been a much better, better experience. Um, by the time I had him take over, I'd gone back and forth so many times on what I wanted that I wasn't happy with what he did. And honestly, I haven't been happy with anything that's been on there. The covers that are on there now I'm content with, but they don't, I mean, they're not perfect. Right. Um, anyway, so, and then to be fair, also, he knew he was doing covers for books that had many covers that I'd worked with other people on. And I don't think any designer would have been able to come up with something I would have been happy with at that point. Um, just, just because I, yeah, it was so many, I just built so many expectations into that series and put so much money into it that, yeah, I don't think anybody would have been able to perform very well. So there was a lot of mistakes there. Um, and then another mistake I would say was a definite mistake that I did learn from, but I wish I had learned faster from, <laughs> um, I put a lot of money toward training people to be assistants who just weren't good fits. And I'm not saying like they weren't intelligent or that they weren't serious or interested in helping out. Um, most of them were good at something else they were doing for me. For example, one of them was a cleaning lady who would become a dear friend and she had physical problems. She had stopped doing cleaning and I, she was very smart, very quick, very bright. And I was like, she loved reading. And so I was like, you know what? I want to keep working with you. How would you like to be an assistant for me? And she enjoyed it, but she made a lot of mistakes. And I spent so much time training her. So, so much time training her. Um, and in other cases like avid readers, just because they're, they love reading doesn't mean they'll be good at acting as an assistant because being an assistant requires a certain skill set that, you know, they need to be analytical. They need to be organized. They need to be go-getters. They need to be punctual. All these things that just because they enjoy reading doesn't mean they'll be able to do. Um, and so I hired and fired five assistants before finding Adriel. Um, Adriel has changed my business. She's been such a huge blessing to me. She's phenomenal. Um, and I wish I hadn't spent money and time on the previous people I, I tried to work with. And like Joe was saying, these aren't like at your house, full employees. They're assistants who work with other people as well. And because they work with other people, they aren't considered, um, 
excuse me, they aren't considered employees. That's tax advice, you know, so they need to have other clients. Other, if you're their only client, just stuff like that. Talk to your accountant. <laughs> um, my advice is to hire someone who knows what they're doing. Don't shy away from their hourly fee. That was my biggest deal. It's like, I don't want to pay that hourly fee. Um, honestly, don't be cheap. Like I was, if they know how to do what they'll be doing for you, you won't need to spend precious time and money training them. And that will save you a lot of money in the long run. So those are my biggest mistakes. I think right now, I, I mean, you can go listen to previous episodes to find out what other mistakes I've made. We've made, we've done other episodes specific about that, but um, okay, so now we're going to talk about things that we've done that we don't regret that, you know, that have been very, have been beneficial for us. I would certainly say that reinvesting early on to correct the weaknesses in my first few releases was undeniably the right decision. Again, technically, my first release was a, a book that I'd split into three. So I had, I had my first three books all had the same problems because they were literally the same book and reinvesting so that they had better covers and a full edit the best money I've ever put into anything. Uh, similarly, building and maintaining a good relationship with my illustrators and my editors has been fantastic. Uh, it means I get a little bit of, of, of uh, you know, they let me know when they have openings. So I'm, I less spend less time chasing at my, my editor slots and, and, and illustration slots. Um, it also means that they fully uh, are aware of the kind of things they have to expect from me. Like when I overshoot my word count by, 25 percent like that's okay joe it's the fifth time you've done it i knew it was going to happen so useful to have people work with people who are aware of what kind of a worker you are and, and you know can adjust uh similarly um paying down major debts and keeping debts as low as possible i i wouldn't have done it any other way uh frankly even if i saw myself heading toward a successful career in writing before I went full-time, if I had had to go into debt to do it, I would almost certainly have bailed on the career as soon as I got to zero because it would have scared me off that I'd spent so much money on it to begin with. That's just the sort of person I am. So avoiding debt as a, you know, incurring debt as a part of the, uh, the job was definitely a, a thing I don't regret, even though uh, it sort of inarguably slowed my growth early on because I didn't, I didn't, you know, uh, invest nearly as quickly as I could have. And, um, I mean, but I should say just to finish off that thought, um, because I have kept debt low or zero with the exception of the mortgage of the house that I'm living in right now, all of my earnings have been earnings. Uh, there's been no catching up. There's been no interest being taken off the top. And, uh, again, I, I went to college and grad school and I paid for grad school myself. So I was well aware of how much extra you have to earn in order to actually earn on off a of debt as opposed to no debt. So uh, uh, yeah, definitely no regrets on staying debt free. Yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of people think about how soon can I go full time? Like, when you're okay, I'm matching my day job income, and I can go full time. And it's probably a better idea, not financial advice, to wait another year or two and just like pay down all the debt, pay down everything with that extra money you're making from your books. You know, I mean, I 
you got to do what you got to do, you know, but I'm just saying like, you might look back and be like, oh man, I, I really wish, because I've had a lot of people seem to find that when they think they're going to be way more prolific when they go full time versus when they were scrimping and trying to do like an hour before the kids got up in the morning or whatever. And then a lot of people find that they don't get any more books done <laughs> once they're full time authors, just like oh, you got a whole day. Now you can take a whole day to get those one or 2000 words done that before you were, you just got it. You knew you only had an hour, so you had to get it into that time um so on the question of what are things you've done that you don't regret for me paying people well uh, I, you know i mentioned that i was definitely scrimping and had to get the little cheapest editor i could find on that first book who was not even an editor a legit editor and, and that happens but once you start to get to the point where you're doing well i you know i sometimes see authors every now and then there's like a survey, how much do you pay for your editor? And like, it's like a point of pride of who's paying the least. Like I, I got the cheapest editor to guys. I'm making a million dollars a year, but I'm only paying 200 bucks to get my books edited. It's great. Okay. At some point you're kind of a jerk if you're doing that. I mean, like we were talking about, you don't necessarily have to get the best or spend the most, but if you pay people well, you know, give them holiday bonuses. It's not only is it like good for it's good for the industry. It's good for you and your books. You're going to get good quality, but you'll find that if you're a good client for them, it also means that they'll prioritize you. Cause a lot of time, if you find something good, somebody good, like a cover artist or something, all of a sudden other people are going to be trying to book them and they're going to get busy. And if you've all along been paying them well, and you know, here's your Christmas bonus and stuff, they're going to be like, Hey, I I'm busy, but I, I want to get you booked in. Let me slot you in for this year and make sure you have enough you know, I want to make sure to continue to um, help you as a client. Uh, so if you are finding that you have to keep looking for new editors or new people, you know, for to, there may be something wrong. You may not be paying well enough or, you know, not to say that you can't just have had a bad match the first time that happens. Um, but, you know, that's certainly one thing I don't regret is um, paying more for those kinds of things. I just want to yes and on this with uh, my cover i mentioned earlier i go too heavy on my covers i pay him very well i pay him what he's worth and i i've been tipping and stuff like that and the most recent but we've spoken on previous episodes about how i'm going to be doing these the second collections he gave me the second collection covers and the full collection covers and when i asked how much they cost he was like eh they were easy and he just basically gave me six free covers <laughs> i was like oh, oh i'm I'm going to send you some money anyway. <laughs> so I sent him, I sent him a, uh, what I felt was an appropriate amount, but uh, it was, uh, you know, so keep that in mind. You have good enough relationships and you can take care of people. They take care of you. It's true. Um, so I'm going to comment on something that, that they didn't comment on. Cause I agree with what they said. Um, but I would say for me, one of the biggest um, things that I did that I don't regret was Dean Wesley Smith's business masterclass for authors that first year I attended. Um, and that was back in 2017, right? Maybe something like that. Do you guys remember? <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of where we all met or no. Yes. Were you there, Joe? No. Yeah, he was there. He was there. I it was, I went that to was one the year you came. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we were all there. Yep. That's right. I remember that on the Oregon coast. Yeah. And Joanna Penn was there and um, anyway, so that was a huge expense for us because like I was saying earlier, all of these events, most of them, the ones that I attended, I mean, they came to us, you know, like just all these conferences at traveling and things like that. Um, and it's not a lot. I know, like when you consider all the things that you could invest your money in, but you know, a car and Airbnb, the flight, the food, the conference itself, it was the most ex expensive event I'd ever attended. 
but I had so much good come from that. I got to meet some of my favorite, favorite people in the industry. <laughs> and um, I made some very valuable connections and it was a good confidence boost for me because I was like, you know what? I have a, I have a, a gift for marketing and, and for understanding how these things, how, how the pieces fit together. And, and I am, I'm passionate about marketing. I was like, I, I enjoyed teaching people how to market. And that was just, it was just so rewarding to me. And I just loved it so much. Um, and it, not just because of the business things, um, because, but because of the happiness that some of the people I met there bring me when I'm in their presence again. And, and this is like Mark Leslie Lefebvre and Dave and Courtney, every time we see each other, it's like this big group hug. And I just, I miss that so much. Um, COVID has made being an author for me, very difficult. I get recharged by getting out and participating in author events. And I wasn't doing a lot of them. Like I said, usually just one or two, but that was way better than the zero that I've been involved in since COVID. And honestly, online, it doesn't count for me. It's nowhere near as rewarding. I mean, I don't, I just don't enjoy online as much. You know, I would go to conferences to hang out with people occasionally to go to a couple of classes and then find, you know, find a quiet corner to write in. And I don't get to do that at home. You know, I'm at home still, and I'm not, I'm not interacting with people. And then I don't get to go off and write in a corner because my corners are full of toys or kids. Um, anyway, so that, that first conference was one of the best, um, one of the best investments I've made into, into the business and most rewarding for me personally, um, because of my extrovertism. And, um, I just like, like those kinds of connections. Um, anyway, so if you get an opportunity, like Dean Wesley Smith's conference is one that you apply to be in. Um, if you get an opportunity to attend that one, a bajillion times percent do it like seriously. Um, I don't even know if they're going to be doing them ever again in person. I have to, I have to actually follow through on that. Um, okay. So we have one more question here that we're going to go over and we've been going for a little bit, tiny bit over an hour. Now I think we start at like at seven or 8 PM anyway. So how do you handle money now? And, um, what do you choose to invest into? What percentages, how do you prioritize things? And I think a lot of us have talked a little bit over this, but I just wanted us to directly answer this question. So I, as I said before, I don't have solid percentages when it comes to investment, advertising and all the like. Early on, I took about 10% and dumped it into savings and investment and another 10% and dumped it into uh, retirement. And I earmarked about $5,000 per book for cover edit promo. I don't think I've ever spent, by the way, $5,000 on a uh, cover edit promo. Usually it's more like half that. Uh, the money left over after the launch uh, uh, either goes into ongoing advertising sometimes or it sits in a savings account uh, until I'm determined it's intense. It might be used for an experiment like a self-produced audiobook, which I've done twice, or else it might be used in one big lump into my investment account. And then, you know, I just did better that year in terms of investment. My priority is always to make sure that I'm in the black in terms of earnings and that my expenses can be covered at, for at least the next two months from money on hand. Like I, if I don't have enough money in my checking account or my, you know, my business, you know, my expense account to cover my next two months of, of, uh, of expenses, then I know something's horribly wrong and it's never happened. So I, I must be doing at least that much right. Everything, uh, of over those, you know, two month requirements and, you know, uh, covering the cost of books that gets split between additional promo, additional investment, additional everything. Like uh, that's just how I, I, uh, I prioritize is day-to-day -day bills, the next book, and then everything else is one big pile. All right. Well, for myself, I think these last probably three years, I've ended up putting about 10% of my gross income 
into advertising. There's a lot less earlier, but I, as I've talked about on an earlier show, things have evened out a lot more now. I, I have smaller drops in income in non-release months than I used to have. So I was like, eh. you know, it's, you know, it's always hard to measure when, like, it's easy to measure how effective your ads are when you're not selling any books and then you start advertising and you start selling some books. But if you're selling books all the time, uh, which is a great place to be, great place to be in, it's a little harder to measure like exactly how much, you know, even though Amazon is better as far as, uh, you know, telling you, oh, you're sold this many books and this many page reads came from that in the first two weeks. It's still a little fuzzy, but so I just kind of base it off of gross income rather than, you know, and I try to make like advertising book one, I, like I'm not spending more on advertising a book one than it's making that month usually is my goal. Like a launch may be a little different, especially if I launch book one at 99 cents. Uh, and then everything's gravy after that as far as the sell through of the series. Uh, so about 10% of my gross income into advertising. And it ends up being maybe like 13, 15% total for all of my expenses, which includes cover art, editors, beta readers, audiobook production, software subscriptions, all the other stuff, which tells you how much more I'm spending on ads now than I used to be. Because uh, you guys know how many books I'm putting out each year. And honestly, I would spend more on advertising if I could make substantially more, but it tends to be the opposite. And it's probably just that I'm not good enough at it, let's be honest, or and I don't monitor, th monitor things closely enough. I'm, I'm always more prioritizing writing the next book than spending hours fiddling around with my ads. But I just kind of find a, there's a point with ad spend where I'm I'm not making however much more I'm spending on ads. I'm, you know, I'm usually in the black, you know, or I usually uh, back off quite a bit after the launch month of a new series. And, but I do continue to spend money every month on ads that I, I didn't used to spend as much. But um, as long as the top line is staying even or it's even grown in the last couple of years. So that, I figure that's good. If things start tightening at any point, then I will take a probably closer look at all that. Um, I, I've talked about earlier that I have spent large sums of money on cover art uh, for a couple series, and but like I said, I haven't honestly found that I made a lot more money doing that. Maybe the the good, better, best thing, the better is sufficient. <laughs> so things like custom illustrations or hiring models for photo shoots, it's not. I'm not saying I'll never do it again, but at some point it becomes kind of an ego thing. Ditto with kind of like the full cast production of an audiobook. Like almost no books are doing that. You don't need to do that. Most publishers are not doing that. And, you know, most of the time you'll sell just as well with if you just stick at that kind of middle level. Um, the werewolf book I wrote, I released in September that stayed in the top 100 on Amazon for a month for me was just Photoshop, manip Photoshop manipulation cover from a guy on Fiverr. Um, I didn't even have any of my regular people booked since that was an unplanned series. Uh, and it worked out fine. I mean, that did better than a lot of my stuff that I launched with the more expensive covers. So just all stuff to, to be aware of as far as what, what you choose to invest your money in. And I almost want to say, you probably have to do it to yourself like i feel like you we can talk all the time and you can listen to us but it'll probably take you doing a series and spending way more and realizing you didn't make any more you even did worse than a, another series to have that experience and realize okay yeah yeah this this is a baseline this is how much i need to uh spend and i don't need to spend huge amounts uh and, and you do need to 
be careful about thinking in percentages when you have a variable income. I'm just saying the percentages because I do my taxes and I see what it is. You know, I don't necessarily calculate it every month. I just kind of look at the end of the year when I'm adding everything up. So that's where I get the percentages. It's not like I'm going, oh, I haven't, I've only spent 9% of this month's income on taxes. I'm going to go spend a little more on advertising. Um, but I think also before I said, make sure whatever you do that you're going to be okay in sort of your lowest baseline months. And then when you have good months, you know, that's a good time to kind of, as we've been talking about, invested in like redoing old covers, or maybe it's a good time to put money aside for the leaner months, or maybe you buy the six covers for the next series ahead of time when you happen to have a good month. Uh, for personal investments, you know, that's not really the point of the show, but I am not keeping very much in cash right now outside of what gets set aside for taxes. <laughs> as we record this, inflation is kind of wackadoodle. Uh, so I like, assets that go up in value <laughs> at least match inflation ideally so that's what i do for the money that does not go back into the book business and that i don't need each month to live on so uh, we just got to do our own thing and i think we've been rambling i've been rambling for a while andrew is going to finish us out on this subject um so uh teslas kind of go up in value my brother's teslas have both gone up in value by five thousand dollars so get your tesla Lindsay. and <laughs> well this is a weird time right now used cars have been holding their value really well because of the chip shortages and so people yeah. haven't been able to get new cars so never should you buy a car and think it's uh, an investment it <laughs> typically depreciates as soon as you drive it off the lot or have it delivered yeah because tesla does that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their theory is it's going up in value because I'm self-driving and all that. They're like, it's going to be a taxi for me in the next few years. <laughs> all right. Well, good luck to them. You know, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So as I've mentioned before, um, even just today, I'm currently putting everything into the business and, and I just told you how I'm doing that. So when I say I'm putting everything into the business, that's how, um, that means advertising opportunities, promotions, podcast stuff, all the regular things to keep the business alive. So like newsletter provider, websites, teachable, Zapier, book funnel, Adobe suite, word, Adriel's best friend fee, how <laughs> so much, because I am her best friend. I pay her. Okay. Um, and I'm saving it all the excess from my next book launch, because by golly, gosh, darn it, guys, I want to make sure that my next book launch is gangbusters, but without the pressure that I put on my last fantasy book launch where it flopped. And I was like, ah, my life's falling apart. The end. Um, of course my toddler, you know, we're not going to, we're not planning on having another baby for a little while. And so my toddler, he's more manageable now, even though he's a little terror, like he's a freaking ball of energy. Anyway. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Joe, did you want to add anything? Um, I think I'm, I'm out of information for this week. Okay. Just a reminder, this has not been financial advice. <laughs> Please see your accountant or other business or tax professional for financial advice. Do not get it from free for free on the internet. That's all. <laughs> it's true. Don't complain about the information we give when we're giving it for free. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So I think that's pretty much it. Thank you everyone for listening. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. So long everybody. Wait, that's no, or that's Joe's line. Uh, see y'all later. <laughs> that's Elmer Fudd's line. Isn't it? <laughs> see y'all later. Bye guys. Have a good week. So long everybody. <laughs>